This is the Biz News Podcast, one-on-one conversations with experts in business and personal development. It takes a lot of practice to do improv, whether on stage as an entertainer or in front of your staff as the organization's leader. So says Peter Margaritas, a CPA who calls himself the accidental accountant and who's been doing something other than crunching numbers for years. He's now a leadership coach, speaker, and author, and expert on improv. He joins us to talk about improving your improv in this Biz News Interview podcast. We're going to kind of uh, improv this whole thing. (laughs) Or is that a, a bad thing to say? Oh, absolutely not. That's a great thing to say, Doug. Now, you have written a book all about improv. Is your background that you are treading the stages across the United States, getting people rolling in the aisles with your witticisms or something else? Well, it's a little bit of something else. Back in the, I don't know, mid to late 80s, I was doing stand-up comedy. And clearly, Doug, I was not that good because I'm not touring the stages around the country, around the world. But I, I enjoyed it. I, I had fun. And, and But somebody, a friend of mine said, you know, I, I have this, I, I do this improv workshop you might be interested in. I said, okay. Didn't know much about improv other than, you know, that guy, Cleveland, through something or other, you know. He, he kind of made a name for himself, I guess. Yes, he did. And uh, I took this class, took this workshop, and I thought we were gonna write material. We did, we were doing these really goofy, crazy games. And I'm like, I, 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 I don't get it. And, and I said, I probably won't come back next week. However, at the, end of the, at the end of the session, the instructor said, okay, for next week, I want you guys to study the 70s. For those of you who lived in the 70s, you might want to study it because you probably don't remember it. <laughs> and come back with this information for next week. I said, oh, there was homework I didn't know about. That's why I didn't get it. So I came back the next week. I did the homework. And lo and behold, these exercises started to make sense. And I, and I was funny. And, and those who didn't do it were not funny. And that was one of my aha moments that improv is more about, not about writing material. There's not a formula for it. It's about the ability to take our knowledge, our experiences, and bring it into any situation possible. Oh, Scooby said. And um, that's when I started to fall in love with this. Now, I, I've taken a number of, of improv workshops in Chicago at Second City. I've done some in Cincinnati. And I retain an improv coach on a monthly basis. And I've always looked at it from a business perspective. I've always looked at it from a leadership perspective. And... Um, I have studied it for over 20 some odd years. It's, it's my greatest love of my life. I'm, I'm sorry, honey, but it is the greatest love of my life. And, and, and I, it's actually changed my life. So um, I have promised my improv coach because we get together once a month and talk about different things, improv business related. I told him when I, when I start slowing down my business and thinking about retiring, I'll try to do it on stage in front of a live audience. I told my, well, we could do the geriatric tour or the assisted living tour uh, of improv, and, and that would be good. <laughs> now, improv doesn't have to be uh, uh, all laughs and people rolling in the aisles, as I alluded to earlier. It can also be very serious, as you point out in your book. Absolutely. It is very serious. It, right now, it is really a leadership tool 
based around the concept really servant leadership, where it's not about me, the leader, because as the leader, I am going to take this approach called yes and, not no because or yes but. Yes and is about agreement, but not always agreeing. And when we take that approach, and yes and is some of the uh, uh, characteristics of it, it's about empathy, where I need to understand how you feel in your shoes. It's about parking my ego aside and listening, listening with full content to understand others to gather all this information and become a better leader. Now, it sounds simple, but there's too many cases out there of poor leadership that's ego leadership. I call this improv leadership, which is the exact opposite. It's about the team comes first, the organization comes first. I'm part of this group. How can I create a psychological safety environment that people can tell me what they think and feel without without it being shown up on the performance review six or 12 months later. Now, you, you mentioned in your book that improv is anything but improv. It really means an awful lot of homework ahead of time. Talk a little bit about that. You know, I ask people, you know, when I say, you know, in improv, we do practice. The, 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 the theater people do practice. They go, why? I think you're just making stuff up, just winging it, pulling things out of the air. And I went, no. The thing is, we over-prepare. And someone said, that sounds counterintuitive to the concept of improv. And my remark was, you don't understand improv. So as a leader, how many times have you seen leaders who deliver information to a, a, in a meeting or all-company meeting or presentation, and they've written this script? They've got this thing scripted out to the nth degree. And if they're looking at the audience paying attention to the audience, not themselves. They can see the audience tune themselves out, but they just plow through, this is what I'm gonna do. The, the, the job of, of any leader is to create action, is to, is to put people in a different frame of mind. It's, it's, it's that, you know, that leadership aspect. And if we're not reading the audience, I'm just up there gobbledygooping and they're not connecting with me, how am I gonna empower my workforce? Because they don't believe it. They need to be able to go off script and do something different that they have already planned about, they've already anticipated for. What if this piece here is not working because I may not be 100% confident with it? What else could I bring in? What story could I bring in? Or if we've been doing it long enough, we know if something's not going over well, how can I just adapt, do something different to try to inspire that audience, a different story, a different analogy, or whatever? But we don't see leaders doing this, except there's, I don't know if you heard, there's one leader in our history that they back to 1963 that actually improvised a very historic speech. Do you know who I'm talking about, Doug? I do, but uh, tell it to our listeners and viewers. Martin Luther King improvised the I Have the Dream speech. I'll, okay, quit yelling. I can go. He did. I researched. I found the evidence for it. And the story behind it was, is the night before the March on Washington in 63, he was with his inner circle and they were going through this speech. Now, Dr. King had been doing this portion, this segment called I Have a Dream for the past six, seven, eight months. And Wesley Walker, one of his inner circle said, let's take this out. We've been using it way too much. 
let's write something new because Dr. King wanted this to be like the Gettysburg Address, you know, like, like Kennedy's presidential speech. So they wrote something new. And if you go and watch his speech, which is supposed to be six minutes, he went 17. You can see him reading the speech like he's given us like he's given us a sermon to some degree. And at one point, he's he, he's expecting the audience to communicate with them like they were at church, but they weren't. And at one point, this, when the new piece came up, it's about two thirds of it, he kind of looked down and, and paused for a moment. And there's this gospel singer, um, Michaela. Oh, and I forgot, I heard, unless I just escaped, just escaped me. Said, tell me about your dream, Martin. Can't find where he heard, but there are recollections of people who were on that stage with him, heard her say that. He pushed the speech away and started into the I have the dream speech and never looked down at his notes again. And that actual title of that speech he was going, he gave that day was normalcy, never again. But we refer to it now as the I have the dream speech. He completely improvised that speech because he was prepared. Now, very, I think we'll all agree that very few uh, business leaders or managers, and there's a difference, of course, right. are, are in that league of Martin Luther King Jr. So when you go to uh, companies and organizations with your improv pitch, what's been the reaction? <laughs> well, Doug, I've been doing this for a long time. And I, it started out for a long time ago. I don't need to be funny. I, I don't need my people to be funny. I need them to do something serious and improv is not serious. Okay. So as time went on and the more that I write, the more that I put out there, the people started to take a, a listen to it. And there's been more things placed in business publications about how improv is a, a communication tool, a leadership tool. And once I get them to understand, I'm not trying to make them funny. I'm trying to make them better leaders. I'm, I, I want them to empower their people. I want them to trust their people. I, I don't want, you know, it, the more that I want them to learn to show appreciation to their people because in, in researching stuff for the book, 70% of people leave their job, not because of money, because of lack of appreciation. And when the, one of the superpowers in improv is the ability to listen, to understand without interrupting, without an agenda, try to understand what the other person's trying to say. Now, you don't always have to agree with them, but you're actually listening to them. And the art of actually listening to somebody is a way of showing appreciation, however ego gets in the way. So if I can get them to realize that, because so I, I tend to live in the accounting and finance world. And, and if, if someone comes into the CFO, I mean, CFO, and... Uh, says, hey, I got an idea. If I need about $5 million uh, to do to institute this new system that I think will save us more than it'll cost us, the CFO, I'm sorry, no, we can't know because we don't have it in the budget. Well, you, you, you just cut them completely off. You're not even giving he or she the ability to even try to convince you you're shutting them down. Quit shutting people down. People want to be heard. And that's part of this great resignation that's going on, especially from the younger generation. They want to be heard. They, they, want, to be, they want to be not, as my father once told me when I was younger, children should be seen, not heard. I felt that in corporate America a lot in my years, especially if you're the newbie on the block. 
sit down, sit over in the corner. You can wait six months before you can communicate or, or give us your ideas because you don't know how we work here. Well, maybe you might want to listen to those people who don't know how you work because maybe you're doing it wrong. Oh, wait, my ego's going to get away. I'm not doing anything wrong. They're wrong. You see how that kind of goes versus opening up for, tell me what you think. Tell me what you think we could do, what we should do. Let's, let's, let's have a dialogue around it. It must be really tough trying to get that message across to some people. What's been your uh, uh, secret to success? Well, you're right. It is tough. And basically, when I, when I, wrote, when I wrote the book, and there's a you know, the, the copy of it, this book's not for everybody. And, and I, I tell audiences, this book's not for everybody. If you're pretty much doing the ego leadership and you're not willing to have an open mind and allow this new thought process to come in, and if you're not willing to explore with an open mind, then, you know, you can sit there or you can leave. I don't care which way. But if you're willing to listen and at least go, would this work in my organization? Because and then look at the issues that you're dealing with. Oh, and by the way, Doug, what, what business are you in? Communications business. At least that's what I think. Well, that's a byproduct of the business that you are in. And this is what I tell audiences. The business that you are in is the people business first. Because without people, you have no business. So don't be like the CEO of Better.com who fired 900 employees over a Zoom call. And, and then, then recent stuff that's coming out I believe about, you, that was Mr. Warmth, was it not? Yeah, Mr. Yeah, Mr. Warm and Fuzzy. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, and, and that's just a show of, of, of ego. Um, and then holding off medical payments and it, it just keeps unfolding. If we treat our people well, and we, and, and we treat them like an individual, not like a number. And we have compassion, we have empathy, and we're there to serve them so they can do their job. It's amazing what turnover does, decreases, productivity increases, and you have a happier workforce. Now, your academic background, if I recollect correctly, <laughs> is in, a, you're an accountant, or, or studied that at least, uh, what, how did you get off, get off the straight and narrow into this wiggly path that you're on? I think I lost a bet, quite honestly. <laughs> I actually, um, oh, it's a long story. My, you know, my father once told me you should go be an accountant because there's always a job. And uh, I was working at a bank in Florida. Uh, we were merged, new, new owners in this, the sea um the head of lending, commercial lending, said, Pete, you've got a knack for numbers and a gift of gab. Why don't you go work on that master's degree your father always wanted? Well, work on it, becoming a CPA that your father always wanted you to be. Because that undergraduate in business administration with a concentration really in human resources out of the University of Kentucky. And, um, and so it was about 10 years later, I got accepted to the, the master's of accountancy program at Case Western Reserve University. I have my CPA. So... Now, really, what this is saying is, I can study, I can take tests, and I'm really good at that, apparently, when it comes to this stuff. The actual work of an accountant, um, I had a boss, the former employer, tell me that I was the accidental accountant. 
because they the accountants like to get down into this detail. I can get you only this far. You're an accidental accountant. And, and actually, I've trademarked that. <laughs> so go ahead. I was going to say, have, have you do our uh, income tax forms around here? Uh, you don't want that. Somebody's going to jail. That's not going to be me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, when when you finally leave an organization after uh, uh, giving them the coaching, do you follow up on it, see what happens? And if so, give us some examples. Well, I try to. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of times, and this is something I've been working really hard on, this is not an event. This is a process. <clears throat> Just because you attend a leadership class doesn't make you a leader. Now, there have been... a, a a good handful of companies, organizations that I've worked with in the past, no, you got to come back again, or we got a whole new crop, or we need to, we need you to come in and do level two or level three. And, and, and those organizations get it, but this is an investment into the people and into the organization over a long period of time. Now, because I, I am a CPA and that tends to be my audience and, and my audience goes, well, you've got the letters, but you're not like us, which we're thankful for because you come at it from a different approach, but you understand how we operate and how we live. However, there's this thing called continuing professional education. They have to maintain 40 hours every year for however long. And a lot of times their learning and development is tied directly to the check mark. Maybe we'll have them back next year or something. So that, that's a battle that I, I've been fighting and making headway, but it's slow headway. We need to get, we need some partners and firms and CFOs and organizations who've been around for a while to retire and let the, let the, the next generation come in because the next generation somewhat for the most part gets it. We're just going to get more of those in leadership decision-making situations. Now, you wrote uh, at least a good portion of your book during uh, the COVID uh, uh, lockdowns. Uh, now that we are emerging out of uh, COVID, we hope, uh, how has COVID affected your business and the businesses that you've worked with? Well, I remember in March 2020 when we said we have to lock down and then all of my speaking engagements just kind of evaporated. Uh, luckily, I'd already been doing stuff virtually so I was able to transform my business and what I, what wasn't canceled, but deferred to later, that deferral to later was virtual. So I had to redesign my business model. First thing, after that, I had a couple of things to do. And it was like August of 2020, I'm going, what's next? I hadn't planned on writing this book, but I went, you know what? You're, the way this thing looks, this is going to be that opportunity of time. Don't go, behind, don't go trying to work jigsaw puzzles or learning how to paint or, or you know, this other stuff. Work on this book. And I'd already done the re a lot of research over five years because the first book I wrote was Improv is No Joke. A lot of people liked it and said, it needs more of a business tip. It needs more of a business tip. It needs more of a business tip. And my, my, my brother-in-law, Clyde, goes, love the book. Needs more of a business tip. Got it. Got it. So I'd already done the, the, the research for this. Um, and what I found for my clients is it's been, it's been tough on them all because the ability to adapt to an, oh, adapt to an unknown situation. We, the, the, the pandemic is the world's greatest, largest improv exercise known to man. 
because every day we woke up with something new. And those who wanted it to be yesterday and they kept wanting it to be yesterday really fell behind and those companies did not survive. Those who said, oh my goodness, we need to go out and buy a thousand laptop computers to get to our people so we can maintain work. So there were these two groups out there. And then in the speaking world, a lot of people that I know, I, I only do live, I don't do virtual. Well, I think a few of them now are waiting tables at Outback uh, because they, they just wouldn't adapt. But those companies that adapted uh, got through the pandemic with, with a lot of help from the federal government with PP loans and things like that. And, and, and they're coming out of the other side, coming out on the other side actually some better off than they were before. Uh, Pete, you've uh, been generous with your thoughts and observations. Uh, what would you like to talk about though that I haven't asked you? Oh, you, we can talk improv all day long. Uh, so I will say this, the, the one thing about understanding about improvisation, improv, business improv, is it's built on a foundation of respect, trust, and support. Doug, I, I don't have to like you, but I should be able to respect you and vice versa. But I like it, just so you know that. But you know, we, we, need, that, we need that respect in, in the workplace. And you know which kind of situation that yet neither side has respect for each other? United States political system. It's my way or the highway. There's no compromise. There's no respect for, each, for the other side of the aisle. And, and vast majority of it. Now, there's a small piece of it that they've come together. So you've got to have respect. You've got to trust, trust, trust your people. And this is another thing about the great resignation. We, we said you can never work from home. Oh, by the way, everybody go home and work for like two years. And oh, by the way, you're much more productive. However, I want Jamie Diamond, I want everybody to come back and be in the office so I can see them. Because basically, I don't trust you as an employee. And where other organizations said, you know, this even worked out. They were productive. They might not be doing it the traditional way, but so we'll do a hybrid type of environment. And the ability to support them, support them with all the tools they need necessary to be successful, as well as the team supporting you. Any one of those pieces in that foundation, this whole thing collapses. Superpowers are listening to understand versus listening to respond, kind of alluded to that. With the other piece being the ability to focus be present in the moment and not be distracted by other things going on. And when you can take all of that and put it together, you can adapt to any situation out there. And Oh, now we do need to tell folks where they can get more information about you. I suspect you've got a website working there someplace. I've got a website and it's petermargaritas.com. And the last name is spelled. M-A-R-G-A-R-I-T-I-S. It's pronounced like a cocktail, but spelled like an inflammation, like gingivitis, laryngitis, and hepatitis. It's not that, but that's the way it's spelled. Your, your, your family must, must really have a hoot when, they, when you go for Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we always have, we're Greek Americans, we're Greeks. I mean, <laughs> we, we do know how to have fun. <laughs> You've been watching the Biz News Podcast. We welcome your input. Send your email to editor at biznews.com. Thanks for watching.